always love seeing kiddos. Well, one of the things I've discovered in my life, as we're going to be talking about this morning, is that love transforms us. Real love truly is transformative. And we're going to continue in our series in 1 John. We're going to be reading today uh, in a moment from 1 John 4, verses 7 through chapter 5, verse 5. Because this huge chunk of Scripture is very important for us to understand the power of transforming love. Now, I can share with you that I've experienced transforming love because not only do I have beautiful children who, as I fell in love with them, when I held them in my arms, there was a transformation for me where I began to be less selfish. Less selfish. But one of the most transformative parts of love for me in my life is my beautiful wife. Where, for whatever reason, the more I know her, the more I love her, the more I want to serve her. The more that I don't want it to be about myself, which I fail at often, and she will tell you that very thing. (laughs) But there's something within me that says, I want to take care and love this woman. I want to serve her more than I want to serve even my own children, right? Because she's that much more important to me. I always tell my kids that I love your mom more than I love you. And I say that because I want them to understand that my connection to her is what gives me the ability to remain with her and love them. That might be shocking, and they hate it too. They're always like, Dad, that's not fair, right? You should love us more. I'm like, well, listen, she was here before you, and she'll be here after you. She ain't going to leave me, but you will, right? Love transforms us. Love changes us. And the same is true for the love that God gives to us. But I fear that too often, as believers in this world, we neglect to allow the truth of God's love to transform us. It becomes an intellectual understanding that we just recite, Oh yes, God loves me. But do we really allow the love of God to wash over our hearts, our souls, and our minds, to bring us to a place where we feel the full weight of His love. Because when my wife experiences my love, it's not just my words, it's my actions. When I experience the love of my kids, it's not just their words, it's their actions. It changes how we act and react to one another. The love of God is very, very the same. It changes and transforms us. Sometimes we can get into a too emotional type of love, like the love that the world has, like I love Doritos or Oreos or whatever O's you like. But that's not real love. Love is something that is deep. Love is something that is life-changing. Love is something that is formative and transformative. And I believe that we need to recognize that in our own hearts. We live in a world that talks about love that's transactional. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You serve me, I'll, I'll serve you. If you love me, I'll love you back. But love was never meant to be a transaction. God's love is not transactional, but it is transformational. I want to read to you from a book that I've been reading by a guy named Benner. He says this, Until we dare to believe that nothing can separate us from God's love, 
Nothing that we could do or fail to do. Nothing nor anything that could be done by anyone else to us. And we see this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. We remain in the elementary grades of the school of Christian spiritual transformation. In order for our knowing of God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis of our identity. We try to attach all kinds of things to our identity, right? What we do. Sometimes in the world who we love. Sometimes it's about our job or about our status or our power. That becomes our identity. But what if someone said, who are you? And your first response, not just because you had to, but because you truly believed it. When somebody asked you, who are you? You could respond, I am the beloved of God. I'm loved. Deeply, truly. That is what Benner is talking about, and that is what this passage talks about. We are to live in transforming love. So the question is, how do we live into God's transforming love? I believe that John answers part of that question. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and there's so much of Scripture that talks about God's love. In fact, as I was writing the sermon, Scripture just kept popping into my brain. Then I'm like, oh, wow, man, that, I need to tell that. I could just sit here and read Scripture, walk away, and it would be fine because it speaks for itself. Right? But it's important that we open up the Word of God together and see how do we live into God's transforming love. 1 John, starting in chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe The love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Wow, that is a lot of meat to chew on, and we only have a very short amount of time to do so. But I believe that in these passages, John gives us five lessons on how we are to live into the transforming love of God. And the first lesson is the lesson of knowledge. Intimate knowledge of God brings intimate knowledge of love. Intimate knowledge of God brings intimate knowledge of love. John in these passages, again, remember he is talking to a church that has seen the infiltration of false teachers who are trying to purport this new theology, this new thing that they discovered, this philosophical, awesome thing that they came up with with their beautiful brains that is better than what they've already learned. This new gnosis or knowledge is what they're calling it. And here, this idea of Gnosticism, the new knowledge, John is pushing back against by saying, you do not know God if you do not love. You need to know God in order to know love. God is love. Remember the Greek word gnosko means intimate knowledge of. It is an intimate, desperate understanding of God. It is this, this passionate desire to know, to know fully, not to just know a little bit. You could be Facebook friends with God where you know about Him, but do you really, really, really know Him? This is what John is saying. If you know Him, if you pursue knowledge of God, not just about God, you will know love. These false teachers, they don't love. They're not loving others. They're putting them down, saying, I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. That's not love. Love is transformative. It serves. It walks alongside. It encourages. It is not bitter. It is not envious. It is not put one down or celebrate when someone falls or fails. Love is different. And God is love. You know what's awesome? (laughs) Is that you and I, we can have this intimate knowledge of God. It's not for superhero Christians. It's for every believer. That you and I can have an intimate knowledge of God. David Benner talks about this idea of knowing God through prayer, prayer. And he says, relationships develop when people spend time together. Spending time with God ought to be the essence of prayer. But don't we often treat God like Santa Claus? Hey, I have this wish. Here's my wish list of things I need you to do for me. Here's what needs to change. Here's what I'm hoping that you'll do because I really want it. Rather than sitting down and spending time with. Imagine. If I were to spend time with my wife and all I did was say, here's what needs to be done, this, 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 and I really hope that you can get this done. Okay, goodbye, honey. Would she feel loved? Would she feel known? 
If she did that to me, I wouldn't feel loved. I wouldn't feel like she cared to know me. But she told me stuff, threw spaghetti on the wall, and walked away. But how often do we treat God that way? Listen, you and I can have an intimate knowledge of God, but we neglect it. We fail to step into it. Because when we do step into it, we will be overwhelmed, crushed with the love that he offers to us. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, hit me in the gut this week. And Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, talks about the creator who wants to speak to us. The one who spoke everything into existence and holds it together through his word also speaks to us. The creator of all things desires to know you and be known by you. That phrase alone should make us pause and meditate on the love of God. That he would create all things and they'd still want to spend time with me. Little Marvy. So my grandma calls me. Don't don't use that. But he wants to spend time with me. He wants to spend time with you, the creator of all things. Write down Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4 in your notes and go back and read it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. It's impactful. Warren Wearsby helps us too as we look at the idea of God being love. He says, It has accurately been said that love does not define God, but God defines love. And so you and I can't actually understand the true definition of what love is if we don't know God. The world thinks it knows what love is. We see all kinds of shows and movies and books and poems about love but they miss the essence of it when they don't know God. And I think too often, you and I, we miss the essence of God, God's love, because we're not listening to Him speak love over us. We don't have the identity of the beloved. Listen, John consistently in this letter calls the church the beloved. He's trying to pound it into their brain. Two words that he repeats ad nauseum, beloved and abide. Beloved and abide. You'll see it throughout the entire letter, beloved and abide. He's trying to tell us something, that you are loved, and in order to experience and feel the love, you must abide and know who God is. If we just take that away from this entire sermon series, I would be happy, because that is the goal and the heart that I have for us, for myself, for you, is to know that God loves you. The agape love that God defines is solid, long-lasting, powerful, and life-altering. Brennan Manning, who has since died, he wrote a book called The Furious Longing for God, and he wrote this about God's love. He said, the foundation of the furious longing of God is the father who is the originating lover, the son who is the full self-expression of that love, and the spirit who is the original and inexhaustible activity of that love, drawing the created universe into itself. And that brings me to the second lesson of living into the transforming love of God, and that is the lesson of Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are neon signs declaring God's love. 
They are neon signs, his life, death, and resurrection. It's as as if God was on the Vegas Strip shouting, I love you, (laughs) through Jesus. And that's why we celebrate the beauty of communion, constantly reminding ourselves of the love that God has for us. We can often say, yes, Christ Christ died for my sins. But John 3.16, who was written by John, which was written by John, is a constant reminder that what drew Christ to the cross, what caused God the Father to send the Son to death was one thing. Love. Because He loves you. In fact, He says that Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. The Greek word manifest is phanero, which means to reveal, make clear, or publicly make visible. Jesus is the mirror of God's love. Listen, you are love. You. You are love. Christ, when he died, brought that availability to you and to me, to receive the love of God. Where we didn't deserve it, But it came. You are love. Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's, again, John. Paul reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. God loved us even while we were in rebellion. He said, I love my creation. I will make a way for them to come back into community with me. I will restore that which I designed them for, and that is love, relationship with me. No matter what you've done, no matter your past, no matter where you come from, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've said, no matter what has ever happened or has ever will ever happen, you can never lose the love of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are love, and Christ is the manifestation of that love. Wearsby reminds us, but the sending of Christ into the world and his death on the cross were not prompted by man's love for God. They were prompted by his love for man. The world's attitude toward God is anything but love. John reminds us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's one of those big theological words that I really tried to get MJ to say as his first word. It didn't work. (laughs) It's a really difficult word to say for anybody. But what it means theologically is that Jesus bore the wrath of the Father on the cross for you and for me, because sin incurs wrath. There must be a satisfactory sacrifice to take away the sin in our lives, to cover over our sin, to wash us white as snow as we sang. And it's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that it it is possible. 
And this is pushing against the, the false ideology that was being pushed by the Gnostics. They were saying that Jesus isn't fully God and fully man. But here John is saying, no, the only way that this sacrifice could have happened, could have been real, could have everlasting meaning, is because Christ was fully God and fully man. You are loved. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are loved. Now say it to the person behind you. <laughs> we are loved. This love that he gives to us is powerful. It should be overwhelming. We should change our identity from whatever our name is, whatever our job is, to defining ourselves as the beloved of God. If you believe that Christ has died for you and has risen again for you to conquer Satan's sin and death for you, you are the beloved of God. Because love compelled Christ to the cross to bear the weight of our sin and God's wrath. Ephesians 2, 3 reminds us we are by nature children of wrath. But love compelled Christ to the cross to bear the weight of our sin and God's wrath. Why do we sometimes forget that we are the beloved of God? Because the enemy brings up our past all the time. The enemy will, will speak lies into us. Well, if you, because you did that, God could never really love you. I mean, look at where you came from. Yeah, you accepted Christ. You're only going to get into heaven. You're, you're not really loved. He doesn't want to just overwhelm you with his love. He brings up the past in our lives, our thoughts, our actions our words, our deeds. He will constantly try to belittle us, push us down. He might even use other people, believers or otherwise, who speak negative things into our lives about our past or about our identity. But let me share with you two really amazing passages in Scripture. Take out your pen and write these addresses down. Isaiah 38, 17. Isaiah 38, 17 says that God has taken my sins and he's put them behind his back. God never goes backward. God always moves forward. And so when Isaiah says that my sins are behind God's back and he remembers them no more, that's it. I confessed it. I repented. God forgave me. It is done. And if it ever comes to your mind again, it is not from God, it is from Satan. So block it out and say, nope, Christ forgave me, Christ died for me, the blood washed me, I am clean, Satan, shut your mouth. Because you have no power over me, I am not that person, I am the beloved of God, and that is who I am. 
We've got to stop letting the enemy destroy our sense of God's love. Because how do I know that we've done that? Because the church in the world is a mess. Because we're not loving our neighbors. We're not loving our brothers and sisters. We're not loving those who think differently than us. We are not marked by love. And if we're not marked by love, we don't know love. If we don't know love, we don't know God. The enemy is winning for the identity of us in our hearts and in our lives. And we've got to shut his mouth because we have the power in the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to shut him up. We are the beloved of God. The other address I want you to write down is Psalm 103, verse 12, where the psalmist says that my iniquities, my sin, are as far as the east is from the west. Try to separate something that far. It just keeps going away. It just keeps going. God takes those away by the power of the cross through his love. He has saved you. You are kept you are chosen, you are beloved, a child of God. Man, the Holy Spirit's good, isn't he? I hope that you're getting crushed with God's love right now. I hope that he's overwhelming you so that when you dwell upon the love of God, that it brings you to a place of deep, deep love. And the third lesson is the lesson of giving. When we know God's love, we naturally give God's love. When you and I are overwhelmed by the love of God, we will want to overwhelm others with the love of God. It will be a natural response. It will be one of those things that just transpires in our lives. When we rest in our identity as the beloved, when we allow the love of God as we spend time knowing Him, not just giving Him our list of things that we want, but saying, God, I need your ministry of love now. He will give it. He loves to answer that question. That's like me saying, hey, honey, I just need to, you to tell me that you love me. She's going to tell me that she loves me. Even when she's mad at me, my wife will tell me she's loved, she loves me. It might be a little bit gritted teeth, but I know it's true. God will always whisper, shout, yell, and tell you that he loves you. Do not allow the enemy to convince you otherwise. And we will turn and give that love away. Johnson, a commentator, says, Those who love their brothers and sisters in the community of faith show not only that they are members of God's family, but that they know God as well. When we know God, we will love others. Because God is love. Think with me about Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I know everyone knows that passage right off the top of your brain. It is the parable of the wicked servant. The king takes this man who begs for freedom from his huge debt. Think millions of dollars of debt that he owes this king. And the king says, yes, I will, I will have compassion and mercy upon you. I will forgive your debt. Millions and millions of dollars. It's a huge amount. Jesus is making a very big conversation with these people, letting them know the, the amount of dollars to just put in their mind in this parable. And then later that servant goes out and he finds a guy who owes him 10 bucks. And he's like, hey, give me my 10 bucks. And the guy's like, hey, can you please forgive me? Give me some time. You know, I, I, I just can't pay you right now. And he throws the guy in jail. And then he goes back before the king and the king says, you wicked servant, how could you do that? 
He could do that because he didn't understand the weight of what was given to him. How often do we turn to people who have offended or hurt us, even small little offenses, and we look and we hold them accountable to those things and say, I can't even talk to you. I can't even spend time with you because you did blah, 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 blah. Man, think about what you did to God. Think about your sin and say, wow, look at what he freed me from. He's put it all away. He put it behind his back as far as east is to the west. He forgave me millions and millions of dollars. I can offer $10 worth of forgiveness. We will naturally love other people. Wearsby then says, love, therefore, is a valid test of true Christian faith. When we love, we won't hold grudges. We won't bash one another. We won't want to see our siblings in Christ fail. We won't not talk to them. We won't not engage them. We won't not minister to them. We will do all of those things. We will not avoid them just because they wounded us. We will just naturally love and bring about forgiveness. It will flow through us because we will understand the weight of God's love. How often do we do that? I know I don't do it nearly often enough. We need to be people marked by love. Aiken reminds us this love is referring to a particular kind of love that is not found only in those who have been, that, who, that is only found in those who have been regenerated by Christ. Only those of us who know Jesus can have this type of love manifested in our lives. Here's a simple phrase you can remember, which I also made a point. Point number seven, no love, no God. But no love, no God. It's simple. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's true. It is not the world's idea of love, but it is a real, authentic, self-sacrificing love. The fourth lesson is the lesson of fearlessness. Perfect love produces fearless living. John declared, there is no fear in love. He's saying, listen, when we understand the full weight of God's love, the things that the enemy tries to bring into our lives that will cause us to be afraid, to walk away, to move away, they will lose all of their power. That doesn't mean that hard times won't come. That just means that we don't have to walk in fear. We can walk in victory knowing that the love that God has brought to us, the death that Christ has done, and the resurrection prove the power that he has. So all the promises of Scripture are true. And we can own them. We do not have to walk in fear. He namely talks about the fear of judgment and, and the fear of, of God throwing them into eternal judgment. Because the false teachers were coming in and they were stirring up all kinds of false ideologies saying, hey, if you don't know what we know, you're going to the bad place. So you better know what we know and walk away from John, the beloved, so that you can walk in our knowledge. But John was saying, listen, listen, when you understand the love of God, you will not be afraid. You will live fearless lives. Johnson, another commentator, says love drives out fear. The two are completely incompatible and cannot coexist in the same consciousness. 
The reason for this is that fear has to do with punishment. And although we will be judged, we see that in the scriptures, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Hebrews, we will not be punished or condemned. John 3.18, Romans 8.1. The enemy of our souls would like to convince us otherwise, that we have to constantly strive to make God happy with us. Otherwise, if we die and we made him mad right before we die, we might not go to heaven. You see, God's love is not transactional. He knows that we're going to stumble and fail. John, in the book that that we're reading now, this letter, he said so in 1 John, saying, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. We will struggle, but we need to consistently come back, confess and repent, and turn back to him, and he will forgive us, because Christ's death, Christ's blood is enough for all of it. His blood is powerful, amen? We don't deserve it, yet he gives it. We can walk fearless. Point number nine, Satan produces fear, but the Spirit produces peace. Have you been experiencing fear in your life recently? Have the, the things that have come about in our world produced fear in your heart? The Spirit wants to offer you peace. When we walk and know that we are the beloved, no matter what is happening around us, we do not have to walk in fear. The enemy is the one who drives us to fear. The Spirit is the one who drives us to peace. Romans 8, 15. We are no longer slaves to fear but children of God. The love of God transforms our fears into peace. We've not been allowing God's love to crush us. Because when we sense his love and his presence, Satan looks like a tiny little boy trying to shoot me with a fake gun made out of peanut butter sandwiches. it it's so silly it's so ridiculous that he would try and actually destroy us with his peanut butter gun and we'll say i'm not afraid of you because i have god with me because i'm loved nothing you can say or do can destroy or take away the love that god has given to me do you believe that church Have you experienced this love of God that overwhelms you? Have you allowed yourself to define yourself as one who is beloved? Have you listened to the lies of the enemy which have tried to derail your identity in Christ? Have you allowed your past to manipulate your present? No more. It does not have to happen. See the enemy for who he is, the little boy with the peanut butter sandwich gun. Cute, but powerless. (laughs) Oh, that was cute. He tried. The fifth lesson is the lesson of obedience. His love totally transforms our level of obedience. You and I cannot do the Christian faith without the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We cannot live that which he's called us to live without his presence in our lives. 
And we cannot fully live out that lifestyle without understanding the fullness of His love because His love changes us. The reason why I know I've, I've, I've talked about my, my wife a lot today, please forgive me, but the reason why I love to, to serve my wife is because that love has transformed me. Because my love for her is so real and so deep and so honest, I just want to serve. It's not like I feel compelled. It's not like something that I have to check off on a list. It is something that my love drives me to. And the same is true when we understand the love of God, that when we feel the weight of that love, we naturally respond with obedience. We naturally respond with loving other people because it's transformative. It's not begrudging obedience, but joyful obedience. Even when it's difficult, it can still be joyful. This is a powerful word. And I want you to give space to the Spirit to speak to your heart this morning. I want you to hear the Spirit of God whisper to you that you are the Beloved. While we spend time in worship in a moment, as we sing the songs, if you need to sit and just let the Spirit tell you who you are, do it. Because I feel like many of us have been walking in an identity that's not our own. We've been believing the lies of the enemy who has been bringing up our past and it's been manipulating our present. I believe that we've not been walking in the fullness of God's love and therefore we've not been able to forgive or love others around us. This morning, allow His love to transform you. Listen to His voice and not the enemy's. Let's pray. God, You are good. This is a message that I need to continue to tell myself every day. We do have an enemy. He's real. He's conniving. But you are more powerful. Greater are you within us than he that is in the world. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that as we have heard these words and read them from your, your word, Spirit of God, I pray that you will make them real to our hearts this morning. May we walk out of this place knowing that we are your beloved. In your name, amen.
before we sing the last song, if you need to come up and just get your past out, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you need to sit here in the front or you need to come to the altar, just to say, you know what, the past has no more power. If you need that movement to say, shut up, enemy, you have no power, please do so. If you need prayer, please come and allow God to speak his love over you. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment to meet with your creator who wants to know you, who wants to be known by you. So as we sing this next song, if you feel that the movement would help moving forward, if you need prayer, please, please do so. Let's continue singing.
Amen. Amen. If you'd open your hands to receive what the Lord has for you, I believe it's this, that you will go knowing that you are the beloved of God and that that will be the identity that you take with you, not just today, not just this week, but for the rest of your life. Amen. May you go in peace. And don't forget our potluck afterwards. <laughs>